Are you ready to talk about Canada's marijuana conspiracy? Yeah, let's do it. Every so often you hear a story and your first reaction is, that can't be true. That can't be real life. Wait, is it? But what if it's all true? Yo, welcome to my summer lair. I'm your host, Sammy. Dave's not here, man. Yunan. For this episode, I spoke to Craig Price, who is the writer and director of The Marijuana Conspiracy. This is not only a true story, it's a Canadian story. What? In 1972, in Toronto, five young women became part of a radical experiment that studies the effects of marijuana on females. Despite the agendas of the government, they use their unique strengths and friendship to overcome adversity. Yeah. The Canadian government was fearful of marijuana and its effect, of course, on the economy and productivity. That makes no sense. We currently see the same fears with universal basic income. Generally, when somebody is talking about diminishing productivity, that's a red flag. <laughs> you can cautiously ignore most of what they have to say after that. So yeah, to alleviate their fears on the effects of weed, the Canadian government organized a study, sequestering five women and giving them two fatties every single night at 8 p.m. See? <laughs> is this real life? It is. Why are we like this? So what happened? And why does the title include the word conspiracy? And I thought Canadians were nice, but this isn't nice. All right, yo, let's get into all of this with writer and director Craig Price. I want to start with the question that one of the characters in the movie asked. So I'm going to ask you, in your latest feature, The Marijuana Conspiracy, one of the characters poses the following question. So who would you rather hang out with, Frankenberry or Count Chocula? She was, of course, talking about the classic uh, monster cereals, right, from General Mills. So for you, yeah. who would you rather hang out with? Frankenberry. <laughs> because he's, uh, he's soft-spoken and cuddly and would be a good friend because he's an outcast or something like that. Whatever. That was, that, I, I actually wrote that line, but I thought it was, you know, I honestly would love Frankenberry. So that, I know this is all based on a true story, but that was that line then I guess is based on a true emotion. That's from your perspective? Yeah, I mean, it, it's a narrative feature. So there's things like, um, you know, you want to take pop culture from that time. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, not just the pop culture, which is with the Frankenberry and Chocoberry and Frankenberry, however you say. <laughs> but also, um, you know, there's other elements of Toronto and Canada in 72 that had to be, sort of integrated and weaved into the story of the characters and stuff. So it wasn't like a, a literal line that one of them told me they had with in, in their romance or whatever, but um, it was, it was certainly um, a fun line, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the fact that this is set in the seventies and you were obviously shooting in Toronto and it's a Toronto based story, like from your research, what did you think about seventies Toronto? How is it different from like, like, I guess now? Well, there's, you know, it's funny. There's a lot of differences. Um, when you, it, it, on so many levels, I mean, if you want to talk about the laws back then and how, um, you know, people may not know this, but if, if you have had a marijuana joint, one possession of that, you'll get up to seven years in jail. It was quite serious. And there was a lot more, um, you know, the, the, the society was 
there was more overt with the racism and also just um, the very, it was just very government centric and controlled. And so when you look at the experiment itself, I mean, it's so hard to believe this really went on, but they didn't even have regulations back then for experimenting on humans. So it, it's, you know, in some ways it's, it's changed so much from then. In other ways, it kind of, there's a lot of things that are still going on, which I found out while making the film. Yeah, and so the experiments that you're talking about, can you uh, elaborate and like, what is the marijuana conspiracy about? Okay, so basically in 1972 in Canada, Trudeau Sr. was the prime minister. And because it was such a serious offense, marijuana possession, it was like a class one narcotic like heroin. He decided to um, have what's called the Ledane Commission to look into some studies on if marijuana was less damaging than they thought it was, because there's a lot of paranoia about it back then. On the same token, the Ontario government, the premier, uh, right before the experiment happened, was John Robert, and he was so against this and didn't trust Trudeau. And most of society did not like, uh, they thought marijuana was a really bad drug. And so, you know, general society, the police, the, the, the judges, they liked the heavy sentences and things like that. So he did his own study, uh, Robart. He hired some people to study marijuana. There's a lot of these unusual things going on at the time for many things. And so this is one particular study, basically looking at the effects of marijuana on women. And they'd never done a study like this. And at the time, they thought when women smoke weed, they become really promiscuous and they'd get up on the roof with saxophone naked <laughs> and do crazy shit just because, you know, they, were, they had, got a little high. So there was this crazy stereotypes. So that part of it made it interesting. Um, what they thought and were hoping for the Ontario government was by studying the effects of marijuana, um, they would prove that it, it, when it came to the economy and productivity, they would be terribly managed their money and they would be completely unproductive with their task, which was to make macrame belts and things that they got paid for. What happened was that some of the girls on the weed side were actually more productive and more motivated and didn't lose that ambition to make money. So it didn't really go the way the government was hoping. And that's where the movie gets interesting because it starts to look at what they actually did to sort of hopefully skew the results. Um, but against this incredible backdrop, there's the story in itself, the essence of it, which is these five young women who all come to the experiment and they never knew each other and how they went on this journey together. And their lives are really fascinating and, you know, how they, why they went there and what happened while they were there and what was the outcome of the experience. So on the one hand, it's dealing, you know, with this, this really controversial and wacky experiment, which was really, um, you know, not, not a fair perspective. They each had to smoke two giant bodies a night, mm -hmm. every night, um, and to see the productivity. But then they decided, you know, without getting too much away, that they were going to increase the THC higher and higher levels to see how it affected them more. So it was really hard on their bodies. And, and on top of that, they were in isolation. Um, so it was a really, really um, uh, an unfair experiment. But again, nothing was regulated back then, anything went. So it, uh, you know, and the film is funny because they, they, went, they started very excited because it was like a... Um, uh, you know, kippy camp. They just work a little bit and get paid to smoke weed. They thought it was <laughs> the best thing, but but then it sort of changes. And uh, and so it's really just uh, dealing with so many things that fascinated me, like not just again the, the experimenting and the laws and, and and the mores and things, but also looking at just the human condition and how people were treated and how young women were treated at that time. And 
soul it's really had so many elements to make for you know a fascinating story and it it all happened which is just shocking yeah one of the themes that i like that you kind of emphasized and you just mentioned it now was this fear of productivity and that the economy would go down the drain that if people started smoking weed they would be basically become stoners and quote unquote yeah. nothing would get done and that's such a weird fear like now with the pandemic and the lockdowns that we've had over the last year, both in uh, Canada and America, it's forced us to kind of question productivity and how much we can do or shouldn't do. And like the emphasis now we have on mental health and things like that. Whereas before, it's almost like that old school mentality of like, if you're not in the chair, you're not working. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Well, a lot's changed with the pandemic. And that's another interesting parallel to the film because they were very affected their mental health by being locked up for 98 days in such a small space and nowhere to go. And um, it, it actually was one of the more harmful things. And ironically, we can all relate to that now because we experience it ourselves. And um, like you say, now um, you, we don't have to be monitored 24 seven by our bosses to do work and things like that. But it's, it's a different kind of world now because you work from home and you don't really have the same social connection. And, it becomes a little isolating in itself, you know, and, and so it's it's interesting to see what we've gone through um, and how it's similar to part of what they went through at the time. Yeah, for sure. Did any of the women who participated in the study, like, did you connect with any of them or did they visit the set? Well, okay, so essentially um, the, it started with an article in the Star that Diana wrote, and she's an investigative journalist there, and did a really great job of the research in the article. And then I got her uh, to consult for me and to do additional research, which is what I used. And um, as well, she brokered us meeting the real ladies that she's already met before. And um, what I did, being a true story, and, and there's, you know, whenever you're dealing with historical uh, stories and dealing with periods, there's a certain responsibility. And I, I wanted to be very truthful in this. And the best way to do it was to protect the women so I did not use their real names, which they knew, and I did not use, um, I did what's called composite characters. So it's not like one could be identified as, oh, that's me and that's her. Mm -hmm. uh, but so the compositing of the character, with that, they were very trusting of me and very open and honest. And there's a lot more I learned than would be in a, in a general paper with their, with their regular names. So it just really added a lot of layers to the film and at the same time protected the women from being identified. But everything that happened did in fact happen. It just, you know, it's just through the different blended characters uh, with their circumstances and things. So it was really, you know, it was really a real challenge to write, but really exciting to write because you're taking, like I say, all these events happening and the experiment happening and the surrounding characters, uh, you know, with the nurse and, and Barry and the uh, psychiatrist and sort of, it interviews a lot of different stories and a lot of different lives. But at the end of it, you know, it, it, it is something that's been resonating with people. It's, but it's also entertaining and informative. Like, it, you know, it's still a movie and it's something to, you know, enjoy. Mm -hmm. And I think the best films are ones where there's a takeaway where you actually not only enjoyed it, but you learned something. And also you thought about it and what kind of resonated with you. So it was really, um, you know, a great experience to do that. Yeah. And so from the women that you talked to then like 
Uh, I don't want to give away too much of the ending, but like, how how do they feel now about the experiment? Because it's been decades later, right? Because your film and the experiment takes place in 1972, and it's 2021 now. So decades later, like, are they at peace with the experiments? Or are they kind of angry, or or do they have a broad range of emotions or feelings about the experiment? Uh, they they are all very different, and they all had different experiences leaving, and they had different experiences of how they feel about it now. Some are still angry. And some are, are just like, well, it was, you know, I made some money and that's life. I think that what angers them is what their bodies were put through. Mm-hmm. And I think what angers them, again, not giving too much away, is a lot of what they did was for naught. It's not, they had valuable data, they had valuable research, and it wasn't, it didn't end up how they thought it was. And they, and they were basically ignored once it was done. They wanted more answers and things. And it was like, you know, go away, you know, it's none of your business. And, uh, you know, it wasn't the results they wanted. I, uh, my theory is that they, they were just hoping it would go away, and it didn't in a certain way. And so the government's kind of like, um, you know, well, what's next to sort of propagandize? Mm-hmm. And, you know, we're still seeing it now. We're seeing there's like all this debate going on about vaccines and which vaccines and masks and no masks. And you see like in the States with their elections, how certain media and government pitch things a certain way. And it's, it's all with agenda and it's all with a certain point of view. It's not necessarily you know there's a real there's a real confusion about facts now more than it's ever been yeah we saw this too was recently on ontario with the uh, universal basic income pilot right and again it was a lot mm-hmm. of the same fears that kind of echo your film where like you know if we give people quote-unquote free money they won't do any work they'll just like stay home all day and basically smoke weed right it's the same kind <laughs> of like fears that are cropping up when, it, when they're talking about, like, giving them, like, $400 a month or 500 a month or whatever it was, which is not, obviously, life-changing money, but for somebody who could use the money, it makes a big difference, and it gives them a sigh of relief, right? Right. But it's the same kind of issues, and it's it's funny how, like, watching your film and the, the, the concerns and the worries and, as you said, the propaganda that the government wants to do or is initiating, those things haven't gone away. They've just kind of been more insidious, I guess. Yeah, and in general, people tend to be a little more um, quiet on what they really feel and think. And, and um, you know, it's it's easy to say that so much is still going on when you look at things like racism and, you know, just basically, like we say about manipulation and facts and things like that. But, but you know, again, like the the heart of it is, is, is their lives and their experiences. And that's what sort of is the most uplifting for audiences. And, you know, because it's, a, it's kind of a very unlikely sisterhood. You'd never expect these girls to ever cross paths. And if it wasn't for this experiment and, you know, how they did stick together and how they, you know, they face a lot of adversity and things. And so that's really what makes it worthwhile most to me is just going on the journey with them and seeing what, how it went on with them and and, and surprise like again no, there's a lot of surprises along the way mm-hmm. and um and that's sort of uh been rewarding to see you know with festivals with festivals and things um you see um the audience have a lot of questions it's it's not like your typical film there's just so much to talk about that we always get kicked out of the theater <laughs> because the next the next sign. movie's starting yeah. yeah exactly and um and you know people would like you know see you the next day and go, I, you know, I, can I just ask you this one question, you know, and things like that. And then be like, sure, you know, like happy to talk about it. And, uh, you know, because um, a lot of people have just talked about how it did impact them and, and made them think about it and made them angry and made them, you know, want to know more. And, uh, and they learned. And, as soon, and that's really great to make something where people, people learn uh, things they didn't know, you know, and, and 
that's one of the, you know, with the younger generation, with millennials, they're like, I just, there's no way that crazy shit went down. And it's like, <laughs> yeah, well, it did. Um, and But also, uh, you know, boomers are very nostalgic about it. They, they really, you know, um, in fact, we even had a situation where the, the um, we screened it for the real lady, some of them. Uh, and um, I got some lovely emails from them. And one in particular was felt very, very fair and, and good representation of their characters and, and the time and it, it affected her emotionally and um and she also she said but i still enjoyed it and i didn't want to like so it's interesting how you know that's the that's my toughest critic because i want to make sure you're doing it there's more responsibility with the true story if you have integrity to to be fair to the characters and be fair to the story and and understand all sides you know because even with the social scientist barry like he started out and he meant, well, he just thought you could do this, like, because it wasn't just the physiological effects mm-hmm. of marijuana. They looked at the social effects of what would happen with these women. And they were observed like 24-7, which is so creepy by people to do the field study and um, seeing how it changed them and affected them. And, and so it was really interesting how, you know, they, they went through that experience. And it's literally pseudoscience. Like there's 20 people, there's 10 people in the cold control group another 10 well now you'd have 20,000 people mm-hmm. on each side for tw- and studied them for 20 years yeah. so i mean they but 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 you know with barry he he did think like he just did a study in rochdale and he was a social anthropologist and he really thought that this was going to be valid and it was also it wasn't just the productivity it was the economy and that's what they were looking at because they had a, a budget that they got paid from their how productive they were, but then they had to use that money if they wanted to buy a record or if they wanted to, they were paid rent. They had to pay rent for their room, even though they were, so he wanted to see how they manage money. And um, again, some of them were remarkably good at it just because they were smoking two giant joints a night. Doesn't mean that they lost their um, <laughs> sense of ambition mm-hmm. or their sense of, you know, productivity. So, you know, it's really, it's, it's kind of interesting that way. Yeah, so I, I want to stick with this idea of productivity, and, and you even mentioned the sisterhood. How do you direct actors who are basically acting high, right? Because <laughs> as a director, you have to kind of give actors prompts or some sort of feedback. So how did you work with the actors in terms of, like, making sure that their their highs, basically, were not, like, over the top or, give, or they were kind of giving you what you wanted for that scene? Well, for starters, what we did was, we tried to shoot as, as in chronological order as possible. And it's hard to do this, but we just make it work because of the way, you know, we scheduled it and the way we thought about it. So that was part of like the degrees of high and stuff. And we also tried to keep the scenes together. We didn't go, you're stoned now. Okay, you're not stoned. Now you're stoned again. Like we tried to do that. Um, they, they just knew the headspace. For me, it was not getting like, you know, at times they're giggly and at times they're having fun, obviously. At times they're not and they're more spacey. But my job was to just look at it and just sort of have sort of a shorthand with them about, you know, the, the effects and the things like that. And I mean, they had to they had to smoke a lot and we use an organic thing, but it still would bother their eyes and things. So they sort of had that look anyway. But um, they just, uh, you know, they just tuned in and they, they do, you know, they were really good intuitively already and very convincing, I might add, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Has the the movie, you said like a lot of people have talked to you uh, about the movie and they have questions and things like that. Has it changed your outlook at weed and uh, that whole marijuana culture? I know it's legal now in Canada, but has it changed your outlook? Well, 
it it didn't really change in the sense that I knew when I was writing it was becoming legal. What surprised me is that here in Canada, everybody thinks we're so liberal and free and stuff. We, it is legal. There's heavy, heavy regulations. It's not like right now, big, big pot is taking over all the stores. The growers are now the sellers. And, and also um, they don't want to like some were interested in our film as far as endorsing and sponsoring. And they were too, the, the lawyers said the regulations are too 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 heavy to like, even though they're growing and selling, well, gee, you know, this movie might be encouraging people to use pot, which it doesn't. It's, it doesn't take a stance that way. Uh, or it's irresponsible use of marijuana. Well, that's the government. That's not us. So anyway, it, it basically, um, it's been hard in the sense that we're, we're not as far along as we think. I think we'll get there. We've, we are still banned on um, social media because we have marijuana in the title. Like if we try and boost, one won't even use, let us use our film title in our handle. Mm-hmm. Uh, big, some big media is reluctant to cover it. So there's still a stigma. I, I can still see a stigma. Um, I look at it just like have a drink or have a giant or whatever floats your boat, as Barry would say. <laughs> and then uh, on top of that, you're dealing with the states, which, you know, we're, we're opening up in the states as well. Um, so we're going to be, um, they're interested too, because first of all, the film's not just about weed. It's about, like I say, it's about the human condition and the experiment and the themes and the characters. But they now, they still have, and this is what I mean about things that haven't changed. They still have people in the States in jail for simple marijuana possession. Mm-hmm. And they, uh, they're still states where it's completely illegal and there's still stereotypes about marijuana. So the federal act would be a big deal. The Moore Act, M-O-R-E. Um, they're supposed to say that they want to legalize it. It's got to pass the Senate. But, you know, I was talking to um, a host yesterday who was in the state who's fairly well-known personality, and he was telling me that people in Washington, and I read about it too, if you worked at the White House yeah, and Biden, admitted to yeah. smoke, yeah. you know, and you, and you submitted, yeah, they cleared house. Mm-hmm. This is the same people that are passing the bill to legalize it. Are they serious? Or do they just think it's like, you know, let's let's pretend. I mean, I don't know. I mean, it's, I just think that it's not really something that needs to be illegal. And um, I didn't think that when I was making the film. I just think it's, a, again, it's a really interesting backdrop then and now. I mean, you know, the film starts with Justin Trudeau's father, ironically, Pierre Trudeau, who, who commissioned the Dane Commission. So, you know, <laughs> uh, it, it's just really the whole full circle of it and stuff. But I, I think we're better off here. Um, but, you know, you're still seeing a stigma and you're still seeing, you know, but it'll change. It'll change. And I think that it's like, like I say, whatever, it's not, I don't believe it's harmful. And I think there's definitely benefits on the medical side that people have talked about. And, you know, one of the ladies um, still uses it for her back pain and sleep pain. So, and she's in her 70s. So, you know, it's it, it, it just whatever interests people, you don't really need the government telling you unless it's, you're going to harm yourself. Mm-hmm. So last question. Um... Or, or others. Yeah. Last question as we wrap up then. Like a bigger picture in terms of your film career, like you started your film and TV career with horror. Obviously, you did stuff for, uh, you directed stuff for Goosebumps, Are You Afraid of the Dark, uh, The Dark, and of course, <laughs> Revenge of the Radioactive Reporter. Are there any plans to return to horror or even like maybe consider like Revenge of the Radioactive Reporter 2? <laughs> well, funny you should mention two things. Um, I did this film because I really missed the early days of doing horror films and independent films. It would have been easy for me to do a horror film and more commercial for me. Um, but 
I decided to do something new and challenging. And there's aspects of this movie that are horror, which is kind of interesting. So I would certainly be open to going back to it. I probably wouldn't want to do a sequel. Um, there's a lot of resurgence for Radioactive Reporter and The Dark. In fact, they're just doing an article in The Dark coming out soon. But Fangoria just did a... Um, they just write their last hard copy edition. They're now gone all digital. Mm-hmm. There was a rave about it. As a, if they said this is, everyone says old films are cult. They said this is a bona fide cult film. And um, and there's been a lot of people who reach out to me saying, can we reissue the movie and put it out again? And I'm probably going to get there. It's just that I'm busy and I want to do it right. Um, but you know, it's such a loved and hated movie that it would be fun to get out there again. You know, but I just. Um, I just sort of, it's the scheduling and stuff, but I see more and more interest and there's more and more outlets now uh, streaming and stuff for this genre. So, um, yeah, I, I think, you know, there's a likelihood I would, any, I would do anything that's interesting. Uh, it's not, it could be horror, it could be period like this. It's what really at this stage attracts me is, is the material itself. And, you know, even in horror, you can certainly have, like even Radioactive Reporter, as silly as it was, it had certain themes and, and, um, you know, characters and, and things like that. And so, you know, it, it, it was dealing ironically with corrupt government again, this time with, with, when the, um, with the nuclear plants and what they did to this poor guy. But so, you know, it, it's really, um, it, it's a great genre and it can have, it's not done enough, but you can have a lot of really interesting characters and a lot of really interesting themes along with all the gore that comes with it or not. <laughs> Yeah, that's the thing with with horror. It's kind of a Trojan horse, right? Like, yeah, the the monster can be a metaphor for different things, right? Depending on the, the it, themes and uh, the things that you want to explore in the film. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so the marijuana conspiracy it opens on April twenty. Is that correct? <laughs> Obviously, yep. four twenty. Four twenty. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, we did. We did it theatrical in the states, but we did virtual. We we didn't want to have people in the theaters at this point. Um, but yes, it's going to be everywhere in North America. Um, our Canadian distributors, Vortex Media and the U.S. is Daniel Golden Films, and they're working together to do a simultaneous release. So it's basically going to be on every digital platform, and then it's going to also be on demand everywhere. So uh, like Rogers or Bell on Demand, um, as well as like iTunes and Cineplex Store, you name it, it's going to be there. So um, I, I highly recommend people check it out. Yeah, it's a good film for 420. It's a good, fun way, as you said, to kind of explore some of the issues, but also kind of get into the human condition. Because we, yeah. we tend to demonize weed as, like, the thing itself, like the way we talk about alcohol, right? Alcohol poisons people, alcohol destroys lives and things like that. But it's like there are actual people behind all those things, right? And those are the things that yeah. get overlooked. Uh, and that's what your film does a great job of balancing, like the, the way that we demonize the weed, but also then the human elements that, are, like, obviously smoking it. Yes, exactly. Exactly. All right. Great. Well, thank you for putting a spotlight in the film and, and hopefully people will check it out. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much no Craig, for uh, hanging yeah. out and uh, talking about the marijuana conspiracy. All right, man. No fun. Take care, man. Oh, snap. That was fun. I got to sneak in a question about the revenge of the radioactive reporter. Quirky little film. That was writer and director Craig Price talking about his current feature, The Marijuana Conspiracy. I'm Sam Yunin, and this is My Summer Lair. I'll never understand how we react to pop culture with fear. The war on drugs has been, like, utterly absurd, and while we tend to contextualize it in racist terms, The Marijuana Conspiracy urges us to recognize the sexist aspects 
of that ugly, endless war. I don't smoke, well, weed, but it's been good to me and to pop culture. I'm like Seth Rogen. Uh, I assume most of the NBA, Snoop Dogg. More than half of the pop culture I consume is either influenced or partnered with weed. Such, I agree with Craig. As he says at the end of this conversation, you are responsible for the choices you make. And as long as you're not hurting anyone, well, that's half the battle. You have the freedom to make mistakes to adapt, and to figure it out. Know who you are. Don't accept the peer pressure or the lies of not being liked or accepted, either if you do smoke or you just say no. Know who you are, which is one of the key underlying messages of the marijuana conspiracy. You can find the film at various on-demand platforms, and it may even be playing at some cinemas near you. I am near you on social media and for this fantastic social media question. Tell me this. What is your favorite stoner movie? Fast Times at Ridgemont High? Or maybe Pineapple Express? <laughs> Dude, where's my car? I kind of want to see that one. I haven't seen that one for a little while. Uh, Half-Baked? Doctor says I need a bacchiotomy. Do you have a favorite stoner movie? I am at my summer layer for all three. IG, Facebook, and Twitter are all my summer layer. <laughs> I don't know how to do winks on this thing, but like I'm winking right now when I say, please don't forget to add me today. Get it? Stoner, wink, forget it. Anyways, I'll mercifully end this now. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to me in a Netflix world, whether you are sober or high. Trees, yo.